Welcome to the Scale-Up Valley, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Salma, the CEO of Seaflet. Salma, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. I'm happy to be here. It's my, it's my pleasure. And uh, you have a great story. You've been uh, working in Asia before coming back to, to Paris, uh, where you are located. Uh, at the moment, but and, and and you have an amazing story with with Cifle as well, uh, where you just raised uh, twelve point eight million uh, A round led by Equity, and also with investors like Mangrove, Bessemer, um, and and so on. So, why don't you share a little bit more of, on your background and your story, and uh, how did you went starting Cifle? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, thank you so much for the introduction. Um, so I grew up in Paris, I have an engineering degree, I studied applied maths and statistics, um, and then I moved to Asia to start my career. Um, I joined the U.S. investment bank in equity sales and trading, um, so I immediately uh, fell in love with the trading floor and I, and I decided that I wanted to spend my career uh, in that type of environment. Um, and so I started as an analyst in the equity sales and trading division. Um, and then slowly uh, I specialized in sales and I was responsible for um, a team that was, uh, you know, responsible for a pocket of revenue for the company. Um, and that's when we, as a company or as, and as a team, um, we were, constantly looking for new ways to improve our productivity, to become smarter about the way we make decisions. Um, the trading floor is a very uh, intense environment and a very data intensive environment. And, and you're always looking for ways to improve decision making and make it more intelligent um, because people are under a lot of stress and a lot of things are moving, um, especially in such an emergent market as Asia. Um, and so that led to uh, mm -hmm. a couple of key initiatives uh, that I led um, and that were aimed at, at making the division more data-driven. Um, and that's also how I uh, really had a first row seat to everything that can go wrong as far as data quality mm -hmm. goes. Um, <laughs> because when you're relying on, on data that's being ingested and processed in real time to make real-time decisions, Mm -hmm. um, that are going to have a, an impact, an immediate impact on the PNL. Um, any data quality incident is very costly. Um, mm -hmm. And so, with that in mind, I started looking for ways to improve um, the quality of our data assets. This was 2019. Nothing was really um, in the market or mature yet at that stage. Um, mm -hmm. We looked at building in-house, uh, we looked at, um, you know, some other quick fixes, um, and I got even more passionate about the topic, and I um, really was bouncing ideas around my network, um, and that's when I reconnected with my now co-founders who were looking at something very similar coincidentally, um, and we decided to start Cifle. Amazing. Uh, and... Uh... Uh, you, you have on on your on your on your LinkedIn uh, mathematician by design, uh, yes. data nerd, <laughs> and recovered investment banker, and also forever uh, a dog lover. So, yes. Uh, would you like to explore with more your recovered investment banker statements? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me about the dog lover person. <laughs> exactly. Um, Dog lover, that's why I'm also a dog lover, so I understand. Awesome. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> okay. Um, so I I mean, I never worked anywhere else but the trading floor, except yeah. for Cifle, obviously. Um, so, and I spent, you know, uh, six, seven years there, and I joined at a very, very young age. I was, you know, just out of school. I was very naive. I was very young, and I was very, you know, um, hungry to learn and, and ambitious and, and, uh, and everything. And it's, um, it's, it's a really fantastic environment to grow, not just as a professional individual, but also on a personal level. Um, I've always been drawn to, um, you know, I always like to 
this is something that I don't put on the, on my bio, but I have a huge adrenaline junkie. <laughs> so being on the trading floor, okay, being on the being on the trading trading floor, it was like like I was like a kid at a, at a candy shop. Like it was just like all the excitement and all the shouting and all the Makes decisions sense. that need to be made on the fly, and it was and all the um access to information. Like I was so excited because. Everything was, you know, um, available and I was surrounded by super smart people and I had all these things to learn and I really had a fantastic experience. I think it's an environment that really pushes you to challenge yourself and um, develop new skills, but also um, learn how to behave as a, as, a, as a human being under stress. And that's really important. Right. Um, and it helps with startups, so you, right? <laughs> exactly. But also on, on the downside, you get addicted to that feeling of, you know, things moving super quick and, and, and working in an intense place. And, and that's why I say that I'm recovering because when I left the bank, I needed to take a break to just like right. detoxify <laughs> myself from all that stress and all that intensity. Um, but actually it's becoming part of me now. And, and I think it's a great skill to have as a founder of a company because it teaches you to be like, not emotionally attached to anything, like just facts and data and getting shit done. Yeah. And something also super interesting is, is that you left Paris directly to to Asia, right? And uh, yes. we know that Asia is, is being the, the center of growth uh, in the world uh, for the last decade, uh, at least. And, and uh, yeah. let's say the forces in the world are moving from the US to, to Asia. And, and that's why we are also seeing this um, tension between the US and, and China uh, in terms of uh, the region, right? Yeah, I mean, I won't comment on any politics. Um, me, but, me neither uh, <laughs> I, I just comment that but yeah. <laughs> a very superficial way Let, let's go more, yeah but... no fine <laughs> but um but yeah it was uh it, when I left it was 2015 uh and it was so very exciting and booming and uh I felt like and this is also what um triggered my entrepreneurial bug is that I worked at a huge bank uh a huge U.S. bank in, and I was based in Hong Kong, but it felt like we were a startup um, in the way we cool. were, um, you know, taught to have ownership and uh, and build things from scratch and and to take not take anything for for granted. And the market was moving so fast, so that was very very exciting time for me to be in Asia. And I I'm very happy I took that leap of faith. Yeah, so you you have been there almost more than five years right so six years uh, yeah so and, <laughs> and then uh, January of 21 you or maybe uh, earlier you were back to to build uh C-Flip. correct and you, yeah and you were talking about your co-founders so what is the C the split of uh, of roles uh, in your founding team so of course you are the CEO and and then your co-founders what are they responsible for yeah um so um I have two co-founders who are also great friends of mine. We've known each other for a decade. I actually went to school with one of them. Um, and the uh, third co-founder, or my two co-founders are brothers. So that's how we know each oh, other cool. for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when we were starting the company, people were like, you know, this can go sideways because, uh, you know, two brothers and uh, best friend, and, you know, the two, three of you are best friends. So mm -hmm. this can right. really go sideways. Um, but actually, it really ended up being a, our superpower because we have love and empathy for one another. Um, and we also understand each other uh, and we know what, what makes, you know, the other person tick and, and, and we know how to trust each other. And that's very important. Um, so my co-founder, so uh, uh, to answer your question, so uh, we Sam, my co-founder who uh, was at Uber and then before that at Amazon Analytics um, and was involved in building uh, a lot of uh, data products there. Um, he obviously uh, is our, or responsible for products. He's our CPO um, because he's used to building products around data and with data. He's, um, you know, used to managing uh, teams around products management and, and stuff like that. So um you know it was almost natural that he takes that role he's also 
um, you know, the most uh, creative out of the three of us. So it, it also <laughs> makes sense. Um, yeah. My other, our other co-founder, who's the CTO, is um, uh, a very passionate software engineer, 15 years experience uh, building products and, and building software. Um, he worked on a lot of uh, uh, large enterprises before he decided to uh, consult for those large enterprises. Um, and uh, he's a brilliant software engineer and he's very methodical and, and very um, you know, practical and, and that's what makes him a, a great CTO. So obviously he takes care of engineering. Yeah. Um, but we also have an extended uh, you know, leadership team, especially now at our stage. Uh, you have to learn as a founder to, um, you have to be very self-aware as a founding team and as a founder mm -hmm. and you have to realize what are your strengths and what are the things that you are terrible at? And while it might be exciting to go and learn new skills and, and try to do things differently and challenge yourself, um, sometimes it's not always the best idea and it's better to watch somebody else do it and give your opinion as an executive rather than try to do the thing yourself. And so we try to apply that in the way we built CFLA and we hired amazing people around us um, to take the company to the next level and to bring on new ideas and new ways of doing things. Um, and that's, uh, that's been extremely gratifying for us. Right. Uh, I just wanted to highlight that we are seeing more and more founding teams, right. With, with these free positions, of course, the, the business background and the CEO and then products and, and technology also in the mix and seeing more, Free, uh, free co-founders instead of the, the 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 classical two, the business and the and the technical uh, backgrounds, and I think yeah. it's becoming more and more important, right? Also, given the complexity of building a startup, uh, I think so. Needed, right? I think so. I think you definitely, especially in a software uh, company, like you definitely need a dedicated CTO. Um, and in, in especially in, in in our case, we're building a new category. It's a new product. You definitely need a dedicated yeah, CPO. And right. And then there is the business element, and you know, overseeing everything and whatnot. Um, but um, we what works well for us is that we the three of us are engineers by design and by training, right? So we are on the same page as far as you know the core of the mission and the product and the engineering choices and everything we are on the same page because you know if there's the no yeah. we speak the same language right um but then it becomes a matter of like who's more specialized in one thing versus the other um and that's what led to i guess who we are today you know as far as our roles at the company are right um and there you have to be pragmatic and you have to be practical in, in making sure that you have the right person at the right seat. Uh, but the, the core foundation that we share is that we, the three of us are, are from engineering backgrounds and the three of us are extremely ambitious and passionate people. And I think that's very important. Yeah. So the, the problem, what, what has been a problem that you have faced it yourself uh, on, on your- The three of us faced actually from three, three different of... perspectives, which is amazing. Yeah. Right. And and um, of course, you were best friends, and that's why so you started chatting with each other, and you found that you have a common problem to be solved, and it would make exactly. sense for you to uh, come together and exactly. to try to so sort it out. Exactly. Yeah. So when I reconnected with them, uh, coincidentally, they were already thinking about something similar, and they were already thinking about how to bring it to the world. So it really was an amazing alignment of stars uh, that led to the creation of Sifle. It. And could you repeat again, Salma, a little bit more on, on the developer position of CFLA? What is your uh, ideal Absolutely. ICP, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So for, for everyone to know, which is amazing, you started in January of 21, and two years later, you, you have raised the, the Series A, as I said, in the beginning. So just two years, which is uh, amazing from receipts or from uh, starting the company to, to Series A, that, that's quite quick to get there in, in 24 months, right? So we would say between 12 to 18 months in, in between rounds. So you got there in, in 24, if we would need to go from pre-seed to seed and, and from seed to, to series A, we would need at least uh, 36 months, right? So, uh, so in 24, you got to, to series A. 
but anyway, we were talking about much more now about CIFLE, the problem that you are solving, the ICP, your valve position, etc. Getting to know more about CIFLE. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, so the problem that CIFLE solves is what we, is what we call data entropy. And data entropy um, is the state of, is very similar to thermodynamics um, and the word that is commonly used in the English language, um, which is a state of chaos and disorder and uncertainty around something. And in this case, around data, right? So over the past decade or so, companies have gotten extremely good at collecting data, um, finding new and innovative ways to store it in the cloud, um, defining analytics use cases, hiring very smart people to make those analytics use cases a reality and, and, and make them closer to the business and, and, and have a business meaning to them. Um, but what these companies are struggling with, especially as they get addicted to the usage of data and they wanna get smarter and more intelligent, um, is that the complexity of the data platform as a result um, continues to increase. And complexity is inevitable because, you know, as you're growing, as you're scaling, uh, you're onboarding new teams, you might be acquiring businesses, um, you might be adding new use cases, you might be embracing, you know, machine learning um, or whatnot to get even to push the boundaries of what technology can do for your business. Um, that it gets to a point where you definitely will have to be managing huge complexity. I, I, I used to frown, and anecdotally, just opening a parenthesis, I used to mm -hmm. um, frown upon and be skeptical around the term of big data, but I think we are actually finally living in the era of big data. Big data wasn't 10 years ago, big data is happening right. now because companies are finally um, getting to a point where they can actually collect huge amounts of data and use it and actually make sense of it. But that comes at a price of dealing with complexity, with dealing with bifurcation in the processes and, and silos and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's not something, you know, that is, uh, that can be ignored. It's, it's actually a big problem and a big hurdle to the adoption of a data-driven uh, culture. Um, and I've seen that play out at my previous experience. We see it play out um, with a lot of the companies that we work with at CIFLE. Um, and that's what we call, broadly speaking, data entropy, mm -hmm. right? So lack of trust around data, lack of visibility, the data is not traceable. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know who's using it. Uh, we don't know where to find it, et cetera. Um, and we built CIFLE to reduce that data entropy and allow businesses to really reach full potential with what their data can do and what their analytics platform can do and see an ROI on their data investment and data platforms, right? right. Um, so practically speaking, CIFLE is a software solution um, that mm -hmm. comes and sits on top of uh, the data stack or the data technology stack um, and collects signals across different compartments of the data stack and translates those signals into what we call monitors or, or data quality monitors, meaning um, it will tell you when the data is deviating from a certain behavior. It will tell you when there is an abnormal uh, behavior. It will tell you when there is an anomaly, um, things like that. Um, and and the, the, the monitors can be defined, you know, obviously either fully automatically where you just trust the, the templates that are provided by CFLA. Mm -hmm. And these templates are, you know, probably cover 80% of data quality use cases. Um, and then there is that 20% that is very specific to each business and, and very specific to each use case where we give the user the freedom to define their own use case. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's broadly speaking, you know, what CIFLE's ethos is about. Uh, now we wanna make sure that people, you know, are um, incentivized to, incorporates best practices around data quality and stuff like that. And, and the number one reason uh, from what we see why people, why data quality frameworks fail and have poor adoption is because there's no accountability. There's no, um, you know, there's a lack of actionable uh, insights or, or anything like that you can, any decisive things that you can uh, make out of the, the anomalies or the alerts you receive. Um, 
So because Cifle has that uh, top of stack, universal, comprehensive layer, we are also able to compute what you call data lineage, uh, which um, is a representation of the dependencies between the different data assets. Um, and that's, 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 that's actually a very powerful information because when Cifle detects an anomaly, uh, both data engineers and data consumers are able to trace back where the problem is coming from and how it's likely to impact the business. So they can actually take action. And that's mm -hmm. a key uh, piece that was missing to the puzzle in a lot of traditional uh, data quality management frameworks so far. And that's something that we are bringing to um, data practitioners today. Well, it's kind of your secret sauce or your differentiation, your uh, IP. And, and in terms of the ideal uh, customer profile. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So we uh, target uh, any company that is growing at a certain scale and has a certain level of complexity in their data stack and their data platform. Um, so it can go from, you know, a digital native company um, that is about to IPO or just IPO'd all the way to global multinational organizations. So um, wow. our product is, uh, is, is, is built in a way that it can cover a variety of use cases um, mm -hmm. and cater to a, a, a wide range of industries and, and types of data platforms and type of technologies. Right. So kind of I meet markets and enterprise and uh, exactly. at the same time sector agnostic in terms of Correct. geographies. Um, are, do you have any specific target at the moment? Uh, is it mainly with yeah. or Not at all. We actually have been international since day one. Our very first customer was in the US. Um, and uh, cool. today we have uh, customers in Europe, in the UK, in the US, in Asia. Um, so we're really not restricting ourselves in terms of geography. Um, and we are also in terms of, uh, sales teams, we have people in, um, in Europe, in, in, in the UK, uh, in the US, um, to kind of cover all the geographies where we're active. Got it. And in terms of the, the go to market, uh, I assume being a very enterprise oriented uh, motion is is it mainly uh, outbound and inbound plus outbound how are you yeah. making it work yeah yeah it's a mix of both to be honest because um it's a new category it's a new product people are not aware okay. of what the products can do What's and what content. They, like, yeah exactly we fall into this new category of data observability um okay. i guess we're one of the category creators enhancers whatever you want to call it um mm -hmm. and so often you know when it's the case for a new category there's a lot of um education right. that needs to be done um but luckily it's a problem that every company understands and suffers from and is you know willing to an extent to make actions and and to improve things right so it's 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 a mix of a push and a pull in a sense that yes you, you need to raise awareness around the existence of a solution like this because it's quite innovative um mm -hmm. while at the same time um responding to a need that exists and that is well known and and you know lived right. and and people understand and relate to so it's it i'll say it's it's a healthy balance between the two um, we have a, you know, a wonderful marketing team that's putting in a lot of efforts, uh, in boosting our visibility and, and creating a healthy, mm -hmm. um, demand gen environment, uh, yeah. while at the same time, we have a fantastic, um, you know, sales team that's, uh, um, you know, targeting certain companies, certain industries and, and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's a healthy balance. And I love kind of uh, now I, I see that you have a different cover on on LinkedIn, but uh, if I remember well, you have kind of to yes to that uh, uh, entropy. Now you have the your the, the cover events, of the conference, the conference. Right? yes, <laughs> so, which is your own conference, right? So yes. you think that I ask it? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so what what is that about the the conference that is related with the go to market that we were talking about the content the education rights uh... yeah exactly so it's our annual conference uh this is our second edition um 
because obviously the company is two years old. Um, <laughs> so we did have a first edition. <laughs> we did have a first edition last year that, I, that to my surprise was a, a huge, was a decent success. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. Um, so this bad. is our second edition this year. And this year we're trying something slightly different. Last year was fully virtual. Um, and we had uh, people like the founders of Airbyte, the founder of Manta, uh, you know, the field CTO of Big ID. Uh, we had a very senior person from State Street, the data governance team. Um, so you had a decent caliber of people, I would say, that were, um, you know, crazy enough to speak at a first time ever conference. Um, but that okay. speaks to the, that speaks to the, to the, to how amazing the data space is. Right. Everyone is approachable and everyone is passionate about what they're building. Um, so this year's edition, uh, we're trying something slightly different. Uh, we're doing a hybrid uh, mode where the team is going on tour um, and we're going to be hosting in-person events in a few cities. And then we'll have a full virtual day uh, in June. So the, the London um, event is happening on... 27th of April, uh, 20, 20th of April, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I, I can tell you, London <laughs> okay, is thank April you. 20th. April Paris, 20th, uh, April, Paris is April 27th, thank you. Yes. And the virtual um, is June 8th. Yeah. The virtual is June 8th, and then uh, there will be an event in New York and another one in San Francisco that are going to be announced soon. So okay. that's, uh, Still New York that's and the San Entropy Francisco, Conference. So yeah. Both East and... Uh, and West Coast. Yeah. Well then. Yeah. And and yeah, London and Paris. So the the main tech apps. It's only missing Berlin here on your. Uh, Actually, yes, we did yeah. think about Berlin. Uh, we might do it in the future. Um, we did think about Berlin. We have an amazing community there. We have amazing clients in Germany in general. Um, but uh, we did think about Berlin. We thought about Barcelona. So maybe an amazing place Stockholm. As well. <laughs> Stockholm. We're going to Stockholm in May for the data summit. So we might host like a you know a, like a drink drinks or something. But uh, yeah, next year there will be more of a bigger tour. We might go to Singapore. Who knows? <laughs> exactly, a global one. It will be the third edition. So you need to add new flavors to to the conference yeah. and, and also exactly. to spark the mission of the team. But it, it's pretty impressive the second edition already being a, a global tour. So it would be much more comfortable to just do it virtually, or even doing it in person in in Paris and and the rest virtual and uh, and that's it, right? So uh, mm. congrats, kudos to the team for Thanks, uh, stretching you <laughs> to to make it uh, bolder. So yeah, and we, we were talking about go to market, the importance of this is a new category and all the effort that brings with it and the pros and the cons, right? So it's a new category. You can be one of the leaders of the category. This is also a growing total addressable market in the upcoming decades. You were also talking about something really important earlier on, which is the timing. So we have we all hear about these buzzwords like big data and so on but then when it really comes mainstream or early mainstream it takes a decade or two decades when you we, we, we really start seeing the benefits of those uh, buzzwords mm -hmm. and that's what is happening in a certain way uh, in, mm -hmm. in data right so that's that's definitely now that we are seeing the value of uh, of the new technologies uh, to solve those uh, those problems that we were seeing some years uh, ahead, but we were not uh, being able to to work on on solving those problems. Mm -hmm. Cool. And and in terms still with go to market, I assume being an enterprise motion partners will be an important channel as well. But it might be too early still, as it again it's a new category. It's not a very matured, um, let's say. Uh, category that you could start uh, already working with partners and training partners and ensuring that um, that you educate yeah. them again so so you are able to to grow much quicker uh, by yeah. having them implementing and uh, getting access to the clients with their brands as well mm -mm. yeah we do work with a few partners and and the partners are extremely important to a business like ours because you know we are a still a small company and 
um, we want to leverage as, as much uh, external resources as, as we can. So no, we definitely work with the uh, with uh, with partners, and um, we de it's definitely something that we want to do more of uh, as we scale our global markets, broadly speaking. Got it. Cool, but but you still see that this is a new channel that is building like it happens right so we, we will start seeing more traction coming from that uh, motion let's yes. say more uh maybe at series b or a little bit later on 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 your series a uh path yeah right? mm -hmm. and tell us more about also the story of of the evolution of the company and and the fundraising milestones and what has been your experience and the lessons learned during the fundraising so if you can get back to what has been your initial round, um, when has it, it been and, and so on? Yeah, um, so maybe before I speak about the, the seed round, uh, maybe worth just uh, mentioning a couple of things about really the first days of the company. So yeah. technically awesome. speaking, we did uh, start, you know, as in like quit our jobs and, and decided to start this full time around January, 2021. Mm -hmm. um, but we actually started looking into it seriously around March, 2021. Um, and we, that's when, you know, the three of us um, kind of like got an office and, and things were starting to look serious. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and we started uh, initially, you know, we were looking for a few design partners to test out this theory that we had and what we wanted the product to look like and, and kind of validate it before going full force on something, mm -hmm. um, which was extremely well um, received and, and encouraged us. And, you know, we realized that there was something that we that could be built and, and we wanted to take advantage of the market timing. And so um we decided to raise the seed round to hire an engineering team um and that's when uh you know we met with a few vcs and uh we met with uh yannick who sits on our board yannick from mangrove um yeah. and it was a it was an instant connection um yannick is a very thoughtful uh vc i always say that we think of him as a fourth co-founder he's an extension to us founding oh, team nice. um very patient very thoughtful and he got extremely excited about what we were describing and um you know he got hooked on the idea and he wanted to invest so that's how that's how it happened so mangrove led our seed round um there was participation from a uh, few, you know, high-profile business angels and Bessemer mm -hmm. and a uh, few other amazing people. Um, so but yeah, impressive. The, the, also seeing Bessemer uh, getting in so early, right? It's it's not common. Yeah, actually, in Europe they do see drowned. Alex Ferrara uh, okay. is, is the guy. Yeah, he's based okay. in London. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for uh, correcting but, uh, me. Yeah. I, yeah, I was. No, I thought that they were a little bit uh, later stage yeah. in, in Europe. Yeah, because yeah. I, because I, because I know he's uh, and and Bessemer, generally speaking, they they are interested in kind of making it known that they also do seed rounds. So okay, cool. You know, it's a tiny shout out there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, and uh, and you know, uh, we started working with the two. Extremely helpful, um, and and then uh, you know. We hired an engineering team. Essentially, in the mm -hmm. beginning, it was predominantly engineering. Uh, the company we were, I think, 12, 13 people. Um, and then we launched the product to the market in March 2022. Got it. That's when you know the product was so almost 15 you know, months later. And when did you raise the the seed round, Salma? In uh, November 2021. Got it. So, and you skip it kind of the pre-seed round. So you went. Yeah, we didn't do any pre-seed. Exactly. Yeah, we didn't do any pre-seed. Um, On purpose so... or because you thought that you would prefer to test the waters I... first, validate the problem, uh, see the interest in, in the market? I mean, this might be naive, uh, but I, I feel like the difference now between seed and, and pre-seed is just terminology because you still see some pretty That's decent well. pre-seed yeah. rounds. Um, 
we just went and raised a seed, which was, you know, a decent seed. Um, and, you know, we were like, let's just get down to execution because the, the idea was not to raise around every two weeks. Like that's, that's not the business we're in for. Um, right. So we were like, let's raise a, an amount where we're going to be comfortable executing for a couple of years and then we'll see how things go. Um, so that was, yeah. uh, that was our seed round. Um, and um yeah, the product launched in March and it was, uh, you know, we saw great early signs of traction and, and great early signs of product market fit, which was, you know, for our stage, wow. uh, quite unheard of. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, and then we got approached by a few VCs for the Series A. So um, that's, that's how the Series A happened in uh, October, November, 2022. That's super impressive. So November, January 21, you start the company. Uh, November March 21, we start the company, actually. Okay. So March 21, <laughs> you start the company. Uh, then you raise the seed rounds in November of 21. Uh, March 22, 12 months later, you launch the the product. And January of 23, you raise the, the A round after initial traction and uh, that and seems about right market fit right that seems about right uh we we closed the series a in december so uh it was a 2020 we announced it recently in march yeah um yeah so that's um so i mean to answer your question and i guess i'm also anticipating some questions you may have about like is the funding mm -hmm. environment difficult is this and that right it is for sure it is and you know, I see it in, or I saw it in the way uh, the interactions were different between seed and series A. You know, in when we were raising our seed, um, obviously like we didn't have a product, we didn't have a, you know, we didn't have a team, we didn't have anything. Um, you know, we were three very ambitious people who worked at some nice companies and who understood the problem and thought they could solve it, right? Um, okay. I don't think you can do that these days. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's something that was, you know, I guess possible in that kind of environment. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, for the Series A, um, it was definitely like the bar was higher. And, and I saw it in the interactions. People are, you know, more um, inclined to, you know, really test out like the thesis mm -hmm. it has to be rock solid and you know numbers need to be there and stuff like that which actually is a is a good thing for the overall industry and is a good thing to live through as a founder because it teaches you discipline for sure but it also makes you more realistic as mm -hmm. you know a founder and as an executive running a company because the what the funding market looked like a couple of years ago, that's not the norm. That's, that was, you know, an exception that was happening with everything that was in the environment favoring for that, right? Um, and I feel like what we are living through right now is what's going to be the norm for the next few years, you know, and uh, at least un uh, until the rate curve normalizes and stuff like that. So an inflation, um, you know, is uh, is is where you know governments and 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 the Fed and and, and economies want it to be. So all that aside, I think it's uh, yes, the environment is slightly more tough. It's definitely more tough to raise, um, but it's it's creating discipline and it's creating um, you know. I think it's going to be creating great companies for sure. Right. The good news is being your uh, client's enterprise, you were able to already have a substantive level of revenue uh, early on when you started to convince the first customers to. to yeah, turn, right? exactly. So... That definitely helps. And also like being like in what, what the thing that works worked super well for us was we had a very, and we still do a laser sharp product vision 
Okay. That it helps a lot. We like we don't waste any time. We execute like crazy and we go straight to the point and there's no pivots, there's no technical debt, there's no nothing, right? Which means that you know in a way because we come from the industry, we kind of have a certain level of understanding and empathy towards the persona that we are selling to, which right. is very important. So you can almost like get in their head and anticipate the problems that they're going to have tomorrow. Because mm -hmm. solving today's problem, anybody can do that, right? Solving right. tomorrow's problem, that's the tricky part. That's how great companies are built. So, and you get there by having a certain level of empathy towards the person you are saying to and not seeing them just as a, like another person in a transaction, but almost being in their head and, and imagining their day-to-day -day and being so you know, obsessed with them in obviously a healthy way um, mm -hmm. that you are able to think like them and, and anticipate the problems that they're going to have. And I think that's the key. And I think that's something that we are very lucky to have at Cifle because that's what allowed us to um, do so much in such a short amount of time. Right. Right. Um, and, and that's also the thing that made us very attractive as a company to invest in for investors and mm -hmm. um, make us, you know, a great partner to our customers and, and, and stuff like that. Got it. And in terms of the, the size of the team, where is the team located? Um, where yes. are you guys now? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, uh, I think we're going to be 40-ish soon. Um, the objective is to be 60 just by to, and just to clarify, we are recording this on April 11th, so yes. this should be today in May. So just yes. people are uh, aware. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So uh, in April, uh, today in April, we're 40 ish. Um, we're going to be 60 by end of this year. Um, we are. Uh, I say the bulk of the team is still in Paris, engineering and products are in Paris. Uh, sales team is distributed, marketing is, is distributed. Mm -hmm. That's the philosophy. Um, and uh, we have uh, two, three people in the UK, two, three people in the US as of now. Um, and the idea is to invest more in those teams and those markets in, in coming months. Right, but with, with offices or kind of remote first? Uh... Yeah. Uh, that's the debate of the century. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, we have an office in Paris yeah. and in the regional hubs, uh, we do offer people an office if they want to come, um, oh. but uh, we leave it to the discretion of employees and team managers to decide what works best for them, right? Like we have teams right. that are fully remote um, and we have teams that come to the office and meet every day and have lunch and coffee together, right? So it's yeah. really, I don't think you can uh, enforce anything like that. Like the only thing you can enforce as a, an executive or a company founder is performance and execution. And that's something in my opinion that should be completely, um, you know, dissociated with where people yeah. are located. Um, so that's that's the that's the philosophy of things that's today. And I'm seeing and listening here on the show that's also preparing the company early on to be a remote first company, even if it doesn't end to be, it helps yes. the company to, to be more scalable uh, as well. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and, and I think there's a few different approaches to that these days. There's companies that go full remote no offices no whatsoever we try to meet uh we make it a habit to meet if, if, at least every quarter uh we fly everyone to paris and we spend a week together and we discuss objectives and right. you know company culture and uh super important any, that, like, that week together absolutely quarter. yeah yeah um and we have a meeting every monday where we talk about uh a lot of things that are not related to work. So, you know, who's having a great weekend, who's That's getting nice. married, who's having a baby, who's buying a house, um, you know, to kind of create a certain um, 
you know humanity people feel that uh, exactly there is more exactly. beyond work right they connect better exactly right? exactly absolutely that is the goal behind that meeting and we we stick to it we try to have it every monday even now that the company is growing we try to um make it every every monday so that people can get to know one another uh initially it was uh initially it was a 20 minute meeting then it was 30 minutes now it's 45 minutes um but i think it's important it's like what is 45 yeah. what is 45 minutes in the span of the week if it's gonna make people work better yeah. together and improve efficiency and, and get to know each other on a human level right Absolutely. so it's definitely something that i'm very adamant on keeping for the next few months no, I think that those are very important tips to have that uh, week together every quarter for the companies that are not only remote, but distributed, as, as you said, that they are not all on yeah. the same patents. Sometimes even you have salespeople in the US and in the UK and, and in Paris, and they are not yeah. talking to each other and they need to work a lot together. And, and sometimes they need to support each other to be able to serve the customer and to and to serve the yeah. the entire team to be able to achieve certain milestones and if if there is not that personal connection things will not uh, happen right and friction will be there absolutely so uh, i think that's really helping people to get to know each other and spending time together and talking about things that are non business it's all about business right so because if we don't do that business doesn't happen right so that's very well said we are, yeah we are human beings, right? <laughs> Sometimes we forget. We, we think that we are robots, but fortunately we, ha we have amazing robots that are, are coming to help us out with those repetitive <laughs> tasks and boring tasks. But yeah. let's let's see. But I uh, but I really believe that that we can be part very good partners with with robots in, instead of uh, being a threat to us. <laughs> let's see. <laughs> and uh, so let's go to the maybe last... they'll watch. Maybe the robots will watch this episode one day and laugh. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and me, yeah, me too. too when, when, when we do this, this kind of statements, maybe someone will cut some of my sentences in ten years and tell Mike we're telling yeah. that. Maybe this is a good sign. It seems that Mike has uh, as improved his. Uh, He's a visionary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or or no, it's just that 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 kind of comments that we joke about, right? uh so let's go to the to the last segment of the show salma where where i ask you a, a quick question and and we we kind of do a ping pong of quick questions and answers so if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself in march of 21 when you started seaflay what advice would you offer to your younger self just do it just <laughs> close your eyes and go for it so great what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Being able, uh, we're talking about the journey of Cifle. Um, yes. Being able to attract such talented people at such an early stage of the company. The caliber of people we are able to hire is honestly mind blowing to me. And I am just extremely thankful to these people for following us on this journey. I don't think I would have had the guts to do what they're doing by leaving their big high paying jobs at like big successful companies and building things from scratch with us. So I'm, I'm very proud of us for doing that. Well done. Worst advice ever received? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprising you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a founder, like you receive a lot of conflicting advice. There is no such thing as bad advice, right? Like you receive, you know, some people might tell you to do this. Some other people might tell you, no, it's a terrible idea. And ultimately you have to take into consideration all of the, you know, inputs that are being presented to you and make a decision based on what you think is um, the right thing to do. And I am lucky to have had great training at the company that I worked at before because like the job was about making decisions every second and making big decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So I learned to trust my intuition and trust my gut and, and also be self-aware when I make the wrong decision, then I don't dwell on it. I try to take a lesson out of it and, you know, 
make sure that I have taken my learning and, and served me the way it should serve me and move on. So I don't believe in bad advice. I believe in bad judgment. So it's, it's on you. Like you get advice and, you know, you do with it whatever you want. Love it. That's a very healthy way of, of seeing it. We were, I was just having a chat with my wife yesterday, really talking about that. I, I was just saying, I don't like that kind of behavior of a family member. And she was telling, I didn't see it in the same way. Uh, maybe this is something that you need to work on yourself. So uh, <laughs> and I found yeah. that's kind of having ownership about how you react to certain behaviors of others instead of Absolutely. blaming them. Uh, just think, how can I better cope with those kind of behaviors? So that, that's kind of a similar thought process that you are following here. So another resources, your favorite book, and this can be business or non-business. Oh, um, I have, I, I am a, definitely a bookworm. I read a lot. Um, I, since I became a founder, I started reading less and less business books just because I don't want to be influenced too much. Um, so I started reading a lot of fiction and even in fiction, you can find some decent, you know, business, uh, learnings and ways to do things. Um, I think my favorite uh it's it's not exactly fiction it's based on a true story is uh the boys on the boat it's about a olympic oh no it's about um u.s team uh rowing team that was uh you know participating in the olympics um this was around i think world war ii and they talk about the struggles that they were faced with and uh, the importance of teamwork. And I think it's, right. it's a wonderful book. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's one of my favorite books right now. Awesome. And your favorite movie or series, as you wish? Ooh, um, I don't <laughs> watch a lot of series or movies, unfortunately. I, okay. uh, you prefer books? Yeah. Yeah, I prefer books. Um, that's good. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even have something to tell you off the top of my head, unfortunately. Sounds great. And finally, <laughs> your favorite podcast, excluding this one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a few. So obviously, industry related. I love the data engineering podcast by Tobias Macy. Um, I was lucky enough to be featured on an episode. I love Tobias, and I think it's a great knowledge sharing platform in general. So really appreciate him for that. Um, I like the Grit podcast. Uh, it's uh, by uh, an operating partner at Kleiner Perkins. Um, he interviews, uh, you know, world leaders of world leading organizations, like just all around some amazing people. And I, it's a very, very inspirational. I always listen to the Grit podcast when I'm having second thoughts about, you know, being a founder yeah. and struggling. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. That's a great uh, suggestion, especially for those kind of moments. Uh, Salma, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we wish thank you, you I had a lot of fun in the upcoming chapters. And uh, you are always invited to come back to share the, the next steps of your journey. I'd love to. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. And to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best. So we make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your business. See you soon and keep scaling. Thank you